Good evening. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thank you. If you all would, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Without a pulpit, you'll see the top of my head a little bit more often, so, because my Bible is flat down here. We're reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 5 this afternoon. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So, we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. This is God's word. You may be seated. So this afternoon, we are going to be looking at the second to last phrase in the Apostles' Creed. We're looking at the resurrection of the body. And uh, this is uh, a pretty, pretty important topic. It's a pretty important part of the creed. Um, and these two topics, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting, they, they do sort of overlap, they bump up against each other, so tonight is sort of the first part, and we're obviously going to finish up not just the creed, but some of the ideas and concepts that we talk about tonight will continue uh, next week. And so as we are looking at this, I, I do want to sort of make it a little less of a just theological discussion of the resurrection. There is there's so much importance there, but it's more important that we take some of those concepts and ideas and we really think on them and digest them and really kind of think of how those things are, are impacting us. So we're not just going to, hopefully, we're not just going to be just thinking through the topic of the resurrection, but more so throughout this thinking of the application of the resurrection kind of throughout our little discussion tonight. So, um, discussion. I'm the one talking, so that's, I guess, not much of a discussion. But um, a few weeks ago, we were talking, a few weeks ago, it's probably a couple months now, goodness, um, talking through, I was preaching through the um, uh, Jesus descending to the dead. And one of, one of the things that I've talked about and had a lot of conversations with a lot of you since then is, is just this idea of that reality of the supernatural, the reality of the, of the spirit and what that really means and, 
it's difficult to really concentrate on that. We don't live in a culture that really, I don't know, maybe I'm in the wrong conversations, but sitting around talking about just supernatural things with anybody, just just with a stranger, it's like, hey, what do you think about supernatural things? You know, think of the topic. It's not something we concentrate a whole lot on. And for some reason in the church, we even don't talk a whole lot about some of those. We talk about some aspects of it, but not, not to the degree to where I think we, we really have a, a firm grasp on some of those details. Um, and I think the resurrection is kind of a part of that. We look at the resurrection and it's, it is a detail, but it has such a profound impact. It would do us well to think on some of those things. And when, when I brought up that idea of the supernatural, the resurrection really is this culminating uh, event. It's, it's, a, it's a point of, of history as far as Jesus goes, but it's, it's an event for us. It's an event in the future. So even just thinking about that, sometimes we, we take that idea and it's a, it's a tag-along sort of idea. But I want to stop for a second and kind of think through, through the big picture of what the resurrection really means, what, how it fits in to the whole thing. So, so we're, we're going to, you know, bear with me, story time. We're going we're gonna to have a story. I, I'm of the opinion that we as human beings, we learn best through stories. I think that's the example that we get from Jesus. We remember stories far better than we remember a list of things or, you know, a, a theological treatise. We'll remember a story. And honestly, that's what we get in the scriptures. So before we jump into some of the texts they're going to look at regarding the resurrection, the story. So the story is we have a good God, right? Uh, if you look at the scripture, that's where it starts. In the beginning, who was there? Who's the character? It's God. It's, it's, it's him. And he decides to create. Now, we, we miss out on a bit of the story because when he creates, we find out later on that, that you have those who are with him. You have the heavenly court. They cheer at the creation. So right, right off the bat, we've got a story. We've got a good God. We've got other characters in that court, and they're watching this creation. And the creation takes place, and what does God do? He creates a world, a new kind of world, a beautiful world. It's a world that we live in now. What's so funny about that is we live, we live in the world, and we look around, and we look at the hills, we look at mountains, we look at, I don't know if you've been to the Grand Canyon, that's one of those places that I just kind of feel like takes your breath away. You're like, oh my goodness, look at this. That's all post-destruction. So imagine a world before that, where God crafted the mountains and the, and the lakes and the rivers and the trees. You think trees were planted in the garden in rows or just random? I, th- I feel like they were probably in some beautiful sort of pattern. So as, as we start to think about this, you can think of this beautiful place. It's just this amazing place. And what does God do? He creates individuals, people to inhabit that place, humankind, a man and a woman. And what he tells them is, this is your domain. You will have dominion over this place. And he says something really beautiful and really amazing and something that had not happened before. He says, be fruitful and multiply. Human beings 
were created in the likeness of God and would take part in creation, they would, through the family, create more imagers. That's amazing. It's amazing to think through. Angels don't do that. The heavenly court, they don't do that. Humans do. It would stand to reason that there may be some some jealousy in regards to that. Part of this heavenly family, if you want to call them the older siblings in God's family, we see that there is some sin that crops up. And what we see is we see a fall. Human beings fell from that place. They were, they were meant to have dominion. They would sit in God's presence. They were meant to be a part of this, this, this thing, this creation in a position that's higher than just a victim. But human beings take up a different residence and they hand over some of the aspects of that authority that they should have had. They kind of hand it over to, to others. So that's the scenario. But then a promise is made. It's made there in the garden that there would be one day a hero. And a hero would arrive and would set things right. Throughout history, that story of that hero that's coming, it gets forgotten. It gets changed. It gets the characters move around. But, but eventually that hero does arrive, taking on human flesh and does save humanity in a covert, secret sort of plan. And he does this and then offers, again, that position to be a son of God, to be a daughter of God, to take up that position, to have dominion over the earth. That's kind of where we find ourselves. And then the end of the story We're not there yet, but it'll be a setting of all things right again, a return. And that enemy death has been dealt with, but then will no longer be a part of the picture. And we instead will step up and take a rightful place forever as now the immortals that stand with our God and King. Isn't that an awesome, amazing story. It's incredibly profound. And here's the thing. We can walk through, and just me going through that story, we can think through those different elements throughout biblical history and then see where that story is going to end, right? You can kind of see that. We are looking forward to the return of our hero to enable us to take that place, that return. That was a pretty simple story to say. only took a couple minutes. But how profound is that story? Here's what's more profound. Every culture on earth has been trying to tell that story and has been trying to find that hero. Everyone is looking for it. Every culture on earth has stories that touch on these different elements. In fact, if you really sit and think about it, there is no story that does not touch on that major theme. Sometimes you could tell a story and you could be clever with a twist, but a twist only works because you have an expectation of what's going to happen, right? 
can have a twist if you don't have an expectation. Stories of redemption and forgiveness and betrayal and and victory, all these things, these are part of this bigger story that we are made as human beings to be a part of. And when we look at this topic, now we're coming back down, down from the story, back to the resurrection. The resurrection is the key. The resurrection is the key to that story actually taking place. Without the resurrection, we have a very weird cliffhanger, no satisfying end. It just doesn't happen. But the resurrection is that very important piece of that story. And it's a part of that story that should actually change how we live, that we might walk in light of the reality of that story actually taking place. But for many believers, I think sometimes we walk more so in ignorance of our own story. We forget that those elements are really there, they're really in place, and they're really for us to live out. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you were looking for a place to say, where can I look to understand some of the details of the resurrection? 1 Corinthians 15 is probably the best New Testament treatise on the resurrection with the most details. So even if you don't get to read through all of it as we're here, write it down. Let's go back to it. But let's look at 1 Corinthians 15. Let's look at verse, starting verse 16. For if the dead are not raised, this is Paul writing this to the church at Corinth. If the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. We'll pause there for a second. Think about that. If the resurrection happens, you're still in your sins. I know the crucifixion has its place, but the crucifixion only has its place because it's a part of that component of where you have the crucifixion and then the resurrection. If there was only death, if there's only payment, you didn't have new life. We would not have a faith. Verse 18. Then those who have, um, sorry, where was I here? Christ has not been raised, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. Then those, verse 18, then those who have been fallen, uh, who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are all of all people to be pitied. If the resurrection isn't real, if the resurrection hasn't taken place, if that part of the story is not in place, every other aspect that we have hope in is, is null and void. We have nothing. The resurrection is a pretty important aspect to our understanding of what God is doing. If we want to look for some sort of theological understanding, a a nice little definition, the resurrection is, it's the reunification of the soul or spirit and, and the body, which sounds overly technical, but it is this moment when we actually have that fulfillment where we are reunited. And oftentimes we think of, you know, when we die, we go to heaven, roll credits. That's, that's it. If that really was it, we don't have really have much of a faith because that is not the whole story. That is not the end. And yet oftentimes that's the end that we sort of lead with all throughout biblical history, they've been looking forward to this resurrection. Um, We're not going to spend a ton of time 
in, in these other places. But Genesis chapter 15 is a really amazing place where we get the resurrection promised. Genesis 15 is, is where we see the recording of the covenant with Abraham. The promise made to Abraham is that he would go out, look at the stars, and he'd say, look at the stars, can you count them? There's a lot of stars out there. Your offspring will be like that. Sometimes in, in our English translations, they spend a little too much emphasis on the number. But in the Hebrew, it's the number, but also quality. It's not just the number of offspring. That's the quality. See, at the time of Abraham, the stars were not just little pretty lights in the sky. They regarded them as actual heavenly bodies, as these characters, these, well, for some cultures, deities or angels. Or there were powers in the heavens. They they meant something, and that actually carries on through our own culture today. If anyone sees a lot of people putting a lot of stock in the horoscopes, finding out what sign they are, they're actually kind of leaning really heavy into that sort of mentality. Even if they don't enumerate the idea that the stars are sentient, they're still leaning on that idea. That is a pretty old idea. So in fact, what God is saying is, your offspring are going to be numerous and like the stars, they're going to be celestial. And that was the promise. And it's weird to say that, but that is a prophecy concerning resurrection. We would one day take that place. Even Job, Job chapter 19, Job talks about this in a very weird way. He says, even though my flesh is destroyed with my own eyes, I will see God. That doesn't make any sense, Job. I know you're distracted by a whole lot of things in your life, but that doesn't make any kind of sense. But it completely makes sense in light of the resurrection. The promise was still there. My flesh might be destroyed, but with my own eyes, with my eyes, I will see God. This is an amazing promise they seem to hold on to throughout the scriptures. When we get to the time of Jesus, you actually had that as a, a contentious sort of topic. You had the Pharisees that held on to resurrection as a fact. And you had the Sadducees who just thought it was this uh, a concept. It was over-spiritualized. It's not really a thing. Paul used that to his advantage at one point. That's a story for another time. But at the time of Jesus, they had this concept of the resurrection. When Jesus was on earth, the enemy doesn't know quite what to do with him. See, the enemy kind of knows where the story is supposed to go, but they don't know all the components and all the parts. In fact, if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we get this idea that if they actually did know all of the parts of the story and how everything was going to lay out, they would not have crucified Jesus. They just wouldn't have done it. What we actually see is throughout Jesus' life, he gives this idea that like he's telling the story but not giving all of the components, right? He says, I'm going to be crucified in three days, I'm going to rise. But what did that mean? What was that concept? What was that? The enemy doesn't even really know 
how all those pieces work. So you, you go to the temptation of Jesus in Luke chapter four, right? Three temptations that are highlighted there. The first one, if you're hungry, Jesus, you've been out here for 40 days, no food, just make some bread out of that rock. She says, no. And he uses scripture to combat it. The second temptation that is recorded there, Satan says, look, I'm gonna, he takes him up to a high place and shows him all the kings of the earth. I will just give this to you if you'll bow to me. It was an offer to take a position there on earth just through switching allegiance. And Jesus says, no. So compared to that one, the third one always kind of seemed odd to me. Uh, Satan took Jesus to the pinnacle of the temple, this really high spot, and said, why don't you go ahead and jump? And the angels will save you. Did that, that seem like kind of not, like if we're, if we're like reaching like a greater crescendo, that seems to be kind of less than here's all the kingdoms of the world. It's like, what, what's that one about? Like, I get it. You can kind of see there the enemy is, is tempting Jesus to kind of show the capability. Could Jesus really die? If he jumps and the angel saves him, maybe Jesus can't die. Jesus can't die. That changes the strategy. Jesus doesn't give the satisfaction. He says, no, I'm not going to tempt God like that. He's testing to see, can Jesus die? Because if Jesus dies, what does that mean? That mystery prevailed. Jesus in his secret mission, the enemy does not understand how all those pieces are put together, but led the enemy to basically have no other choice except to crucify him, which was the point of his earthly ministry. And so you have this idea of the resurrection. The enemy doesn't know how all the pieces are going to fit, but Jesus actually does fulfill that. So one thing we could have done is just spent a lot of time talking about Jesus in his resurrected body. Jesus led to the cross in the grave. When he's resurrected, what is his body like? What can he do? All those sorts of aspects. And I feel like those messages have been done quite a bit, especially if you've uh, you know, gone to church on some Easter Sundays and, and heard some of those different, different things, the, the discussion of that. And yeah, that has its place. I think there's even more than that because sometimes we can talk about those capabilities as sort of like, yeah, it's just the fun, cool thing that happens after you go to heaven. It's the bonus. It's like the bonus thing. Like you get to be with, with the Lord, but then also, hey, bonus, here's your body. You get a new body. Neat. It's almost like a, like a trade-in. Trade-in the old one. You get a new one. Much better. More, uh, you know, flashy things with your new body. You can walk through walls and still eat fish. It's, all, it's great. It's perfect. It's beautiful. Um, and that's sort of where we kind of get stuck. But the whole idea is, is if the, the resurrection is really, truly that next part for us in the story, that puts us in a unique place. It puts, in us a, in a, it puts us in a place where we know what the next part will be. We know what that means for us. And so it's a ch it should change how we live. It isn't just the bonus. Yay, resurrection. It really then becomes a reality that we can start to change how we live our lives. What's our attitude towards 
death at that point. Shouldn't that change? Shouldn't it change how we share what Christ means to others, to those who are outside the church who don't know the gospel? Shouldn't that change how we actually share some of those things? Let's look at 1 Corinthians again. Again, 1 Corinthians 15 is your greatest spot to go for this conversation. So let's look at verse 20. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. And here we get one of those profound things. Death came through Adam, right? Through Adam, all of us experience death. Well, in the same way, Jesus being resurrected promise to us is that same type of new life. And so through one man, we gain new life. So we spend a whole lot of time, and sometimes as believers, we sit and kind of argue some of these, these points about Israel following the law, not following the law, Gentiles, how do these things fit? Should we follow the law? Should we not follow the law? What's our identity? Are we really sons of Abraham? Are we Israel? Are we not Israel? How does that all work? And honestly, when you go back to, to, to this discussion here, it's as simple as if we are simply of Adam, we're dead. If we are of Christ, we're alive. And it really does come down to that. So you go back to Abraham, Abraham looking at the stars. How do you know who's, who's really a part of Abraham? Who's really of the lineage of Abraham? Well, if the offspring are like the stars, that's how you know. How do you know who's really a part of this? Who's resurrected? That's how you know. That's how the universe will know, the, all of the, the court of heaven. In the future, that's how we'll know. How do you know who's really saved? The one who's resurrected. Why are we worrying about it so much now? Why are we working on those definitions now? Instead, we should be telling people about the resurrection instead of worrying about some of those other components. And I feel like that's where we kind of get stuck. We could stop talking about those things instead of saying, you know what? If the resurrection is real, if that is the next part of the story, what does that mean? What does that mean for us? Look at verse 42, still in 1 Corinthians 15. <clears throat> sounds like we're jumping into the middle here, but so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown perishable, uh, yeah, what is sown perishable, what is sown is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. So we stop there for a second. What's talking about here in the resurrection, death all of a sudden is not the thing to try to avoid. Death is the way for us to actually engage in this next part of the story. So instead of death being this enemy that you're trying to run from forever, 
death just becomes a step to the resurrection. So the picture that's, that's, that's shown here is something going into the ground and dying and then growing out. The picture of a seed is used. The, that is the, the type that's used there. So a seed goes in the ground. That seed has to die. And you don't know just by looking at the seed before it goes in what it's going to look like when it's made alive. Right? Now, through experience, you might look at it and say, like, well, I know that's an apple seed. But just looking at that seed, you couldn't say, well, if that goes in the ground, that's going to become this tree that looks like this and produces this thing. Like, it's an amazing sort of picture to see that something has to go in the ground and die before the greater glory is revealed. And if that is the case, what does that really mean for us? Have you ever... <laughs> Have you ever spent that time thinking about what am I really doing here? I have these blessings from Lord. I know that I'm happy for my family. I'm happy for my life. But what am I really doing here? Any, any, anyone else have that kind of thought sometimes? Where every, everything's fine, everything's going well, but there's still this like I don't I don't know. There's there's it feels like there should be more. There should be something else. Do you know what that is? That weird little feeling and angst that you have, it's you in your body here, yet in your spirit, recognizing the fact that, oh yeah, there's something more. There is going to be more. There is something else. There's something more after this. We might find a place where we are happy, where we are satisfied with the things that the Lord has given us. We shouldn't be really totally comfortable. There still should be something else. Like even if you have everything that you could think of, you would still come to the end and say, there's something else. There's something more. Um, anyone listen to Phil Collins? That felt like a hard left turn, didn't it? Uh, anyone? Yeah. Uh, a few years ago, he said, he, he put out some statement. You know, he did a lot for just even just music, just modern music and all that kind of stuff. Like he's seen as kind of a, a visionary in some ways. He said, I'm, I'm done. I'm done with music. It's too much. He was a drummer. You know, so he said, my arms are ruined. And he said, no matter what I put out, people complain. Some people love it. Some people hate it. He's like, I'm just, I'm done. I'm tired. So I'm not doing music anymore. Pretty finished. That was kind of his goodbye. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm finished now. He had reached a place in his career where he, he really could have done anything. He could have just produced. He could have just... Anything there? He just said, "I'm I'm done. I'm finished. It's not fun. It's not. I'm just done. You know, plenty of money, plenty of position. And he's just like, I'm, I'm just I'm just finished. And I think a lot of people reach that end where they go, "Is that it? That was it, huh? You know, and and you're not necessarily. It's not bad, the things that you have, but sometimes you can say, is there, is there, there has to be more. There has to be more to the story. We as believers have to recognize when we reach that place, what we're longing for is 
the resurrection. We're waiting for that next place. And that's good. That's a good thing. We should encourage each other in that to say, yeah, I'm looking forward to the resurrection too. That should drive us to say, yeah, that's right. That's what I have to look forward to. And really some of those moments, that's what leads us to, I think, actual real evangelism where we, we talk to someone else and say, you know what? There's more. There's more to this. There's more to this thing. And sometimes we, sometimes we can look at some of those elements of, of like evangelism or some of those things and say, how am I going to share Jesus with someone who is kind of okay? They're kind of fine. They're not hungry. They, they have a job. They, their family's fine and their lawn looks fine. And they don't have, doesn't seem like they have like, oh my goodness, you're in dire straits. Here's the gospel. Sometimes we, we, we forget that even your best life is not comparable to what's in store. Sometimes you think, well, they're just fine. Like, I don't know how to share the gospel. <laughs> you have to remember, oh yeah, the resurrection. Even if you had everything here, there's still something missing, isn't there? For someone who doesn't know Jesus, you know what that thing is that's always kind of there, that's always kind of gnawing? Death. It's still there. No matter what, death is still there, still behind you, still, still chasing you, still nipping at your heels. If you think back on the different stories that we tell each other, go back to stories, right? Movies, how many of them have to do with in some way escaping death or helping someone else avoid death? A lot. <laughs> from, you know, children's stories all the way up to intense epics. A lot of it is, in the end, trying to not die. Helping someone else not die. Only to have what happen later? Oh, yeah. They will still die. Like, it'll still happen. For a moment, someone might be safe. Follow that person for the next five, ten years. I don't know, maybe in your morbid moments, if you're watching a superhero movie and they save, they save someone from some weird calamity, right? They're going to fall off a building and they, they catch him. Yay! I mean, think about it. That person's probably still going to die. That sounds terrible. But sometimes we have a triumphant moment only to let it wane for a while to recognize we as human beings still have this problem that will still be a problem. There are too many people in this life right now who are constantly looking for a way to cheat death. They'll do it in fancy ways, in smart ways, in very intellectual ways, in very PhD ways. They will look for ways to not die. If you have a moment and you dive into the transhumanist movement, it really does boil down to that. 
let's do everything possible. Let's have robot arms and spines and let's download our thoughts and memories into a computer just so that we don't die. It is still the villain that haunts everyone except for those who are looking forward to the resurrection. We don't fear death. In light of the resurrection, we can have the same attitude that the Apostle Paul had when he wrote Philippians, which he said, to live is Christ, and you know what? If I die, it's gain. Actually, come up on top. And for Paul, and and we can talk about Paul in the early church, but even for believers today, what is the worst thing that the world could do to you? Eventually, yeah, some really, they could do some bad things, but eventually what's the last thing that they have to do to you? Kill you. And then what? You get your reward. Like they actually, they actually send you where you want to be. They actually send you to the place that you will no longer have that weird gnawing feeling like there's got to be more. It'll be done. You'll be in the Lord's presence and awaiting the resurrection. Next thing up, Resurrection. Just waiting for that moment. And we know that Christ was raised. And if Christ was raised, we know that we will also be raised. This should lead us to boldness. Why should we be afraid? Why should we not talk about these things? We have the actual Jesus Christ who was resurrected. That is our guarantee. That's our promise. Why would we not tell someone about this? The more you think about it, the more you're wondering, like, I should just go like to all my neighbors and just say, I just want you to know that there's more to this life, that there is a resurrection. You know where I live. I'm right over here. Just if you have more questions, just let me know. But at the very least, I want to say, you know what? There's more to this life and you can actually have that thing that you're so desperately trying to gain, which is how do I escape death? We have the answer. We really do. If we have that answer, is it not selfish for us to hang on to it for ourselves? Is it not weird for us to just tell this really sweet, awesome, amazing story? Hey, you know what's next? It's the resurrection. You're having a terrible day? Resurrection's coming. It's going to be great. Where we get to sit with God in that promise... Most people are still hanging on to stories. They're still hanging on to these stories where they're looking for a hero. They look for a hero to save them. They're looking for the answer of immortality. And some people will give everything up just to escape death one more day, one more week. And yet we have the answer. So what should we do? Refuge, what should we do? We have this. What do do we do? Do we need to set up events? I don't know. How do we do this? I think one big way that we can take, one, one big step, is to remind each other of the resurrection. Often. Seems like just on Resurrection Sunday we say, Or someone says, he's risen. And someone else answers, he's risen indeed. But then after that, we don't really do that. 
And yeah, it might feel hokey. You don't have to say those words. Say other words. Use your own words. But to remind each other that this thing is happening, it's, it's for sure, it's coming. You don't have to worry about it. It's taking place. Helps to give us perspective. There are a lot of things to be afraid of in this world. None of them come close to the hope of the resurrection. Nothing. Not one thing. Do you know who else has that part of the story laid out, nailed down, secured? No one. No one else does. So I have to remind ourselves, maybe that's what you need to do. Maybe before you even get out of the house, when you're standing there in the mirror, I don't know if you brush your teeth first or if you take a shower first. I don't know what your, your whole thing is, but probably you will be forced with to look at your own reflection. So at that point, you can remind yourself, I'll be resurrected. This is not the end. And maybe we have to remind ourselves every day, oh yeah, that's right. Because you know what? The world will spend the whole rest of the day trying to beat that out of you. And just an hour or two on a Sunday is really not going to cut it. It's not going to keep us in that mindset. We have to do it every day. We have to do it for ourselves so we can do it for others. This is the part of the story that has to remain in the forefront. It's our hope. You know what might happen tomorrow? might be that we're waiting on the resurrection. And if we don't have that assurance, then we need to talk about it. Then we need to spend that time because that is the only thing that we're waiting on in this story. It's the only way for us to live and make the virtuous sacrifice that we're meant to make every day, every week, for the end of our life. That's what we're looking for. That's what we need to do. That is our story, and we have to remind ourselves of that story, and we need to remind the world about our hero. He's not a caricature. He really did what he claimed to have done, which is to save us from our sins and to offer us life everlasting. Next week we'll talk more about the life everlasting in light of our resurrection. Heavenly Father, we are, above all people, Lord, blessed. Lord, we know. We know our Savior. We know the story. We may not know all the details how we want, but we know the story. Lord, we know where we're heading. God, I pray that we would remind ourselves of that. When we're making big decisions, that we would remind each other, hey, the resurrection is coming. I pray it would change how we talk to each other, how we eat our meals. It would change how we make investments. It would change where we buy a house or land that we think about. You know, the resurrection is coming. It's for sure. And so in light of that, am I making a good decision? Lord, there are so many people who are, even, even today, even tonight, they clamor in their own rooms when left with silence that takes place before they go to sleep, they worry. They worry about that enemy death that they are helpless against. Father, may we readily, with conviction and passion and with an excited tone, tell them about our hero that we are waiting on to fulfill his promises 
God, I pray that the resurrection would be something that we talk about often, not just once a year, sometimes in March, sometimes in April, whenever it happens. Lord, I pray that we would be those who talk about this hero and this next part of the story often enough to where other people who are around us know, know those truths and then must make a decision in light of you. God, I pray for boldness. Boldness not just with those around us, Lord, but boldness with each other, that we would remind each other. Lord, when we are tempted to forsake, when we are tempted to despair, Lord, that we would be that encouragement of the hope that we have. I pray that we remember it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.